0: Welcome back in from the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. We have a new game week to get into. We're going to do that a little bit later here in the week. We'll come to you on Tuesday with our post-press conference a conversation. Start to switch gears over to this SEC matchup that awaits Penn State on Saturday afternoon down at the 2-0 Auburn Tigers. First things first, though, we're going to get back into the matchup from Saturday afternoon in Beaver Stadium. A 46-10 to victory for the Nittany Lions over the Ohio Bobcats. We hope you caught our post-game podcast On Saturday evening, Daniel Gallen and myself spent about a half hour, 40 minutes, uh, diving through what we witnessed in Beaver Stadium, what many of you witnessed in Beaver Stadium. And, of course, coming out of this, there's always stuff to talk about the following Monday. Therefore, Daniel Gallen is going to join us right now. Uh, You're going to hear from our colleague, Tyler Calvaruzzo, in just a few moments to break down the recruiting aspect of what occurred in Beaver Stadium, including a commitment which we addressed late in the show on Saturday as Penn State added another member to that 2023 class. But let's begin back on the Nittany Lions, and that is with Daniel Gallon right now. Daniel, you've had some coverage up uh, over the last 24 hours. I have as well. Uh, it's hard not to shake the visions of those freshmen from your head, though, when you kind of work your way through what happened over the course of those four quarters. Uh, Drew Aller, Nick Singleton were both made available through Penn State's media in-house. And so they had some interviews that were posted on Sunday on Sunday morning. Those are guys that traditionally, you mentioned this in some things you wrote, we're not going to have media access to them for interviews Really, the entire regular season, if Penn State sticks to the plan they have with true freshman availability, so there's going to be some intrigue around these guys because you're not going to hear a bunch from them, but you're going to hear a lot about them.
1: Definitely, it was good to good to hear their voices, get their reactions. Um, it's something that we weren't really expecting. Uh, saw those pop up uh, on social media, which was kind of a, a nice surprise um, because given how they played, especially Nick Singleton, and especially, I mean, Drew Allert coming in these past two weeks, you kind of want to know what they think about this. Um, so a little bit of a, of a glimpse into the psyche. Um, we kind of knew Nick Singleton is very soft spoken, um, doesn't doesn't say too much. Um, but, you know, he was asked about his speed. And he said that it's something that he's really been working on, um, that in the running back room, they're really pushing each other to get bigger, stronger and faster. And, that's kind of paid off. Um, we'll see how that plays against the SEC and the Big Ten as this goes on. Um, and then I thought Drew Aller. I mean, I, I don't think I, I connected with him during the, the recruiting process at all. So it was really my, my first time hearing, you know, an, a more kind of extended conversation with him. And, you know, I thought he, w- he was very thoughtful, um, had good things to say about getting this experience, uh, how valuable these reps are uh, in terms of his development um, which is pretty much what you would expect to hear. But it was good to kind of you know, hear from those. It, it helped kind of put a bow, um, I think, on the game, because it's one thing to hear these defensive players, these offensive teammates talk about how good these freshmen are, how well they've prepared. But it's another to, to hear from them themselves um, about how they've
0: done and, and what these you know, first two games have been like for them. Drew was talking about it almost being like a dream unfolding what happened on Saturday. And and both of these guys were quick to credit their teammates. And I know you hadn't interacted with him much, but I know many of our longtime listeners remember Drew Aller popping up for, I think, two or three interviews on this podcast over the course of his recruitment. The last one he did with us was, I think, four or five days before he enrolled. And one thing I talked about on Saturday's podcast is just from the personality profile of Drew Aller doesn't match a lot of what we see from the five-star uh, high-level recruits. And I think part of it is he wasn't uh, exposed to the world as a five-star recruit for three years, going back to his sophomore year. I think that can change the psyche a little bit. I think it can alter the expectations of what a player sees in their first year on campus, what they expect the coaching staff to maybe provide for them. Where Drew Aller, I, I really just, I, I liked where he seemed to get come from, uh, from an NIL perspective, from a competitive perspective. He was kind of coming to campus with a blank slate. He had a blueprint in mind and, and he had a plan to execute. But he wasn't really going to to be uh, pushing the putting the heart, the cart before the horse. He knew that he had to get his ducks in a row, and I think with Nick Singleton kind of get the same uh, you know image. I, I talked to him within three or four hours of him getting that uh, Gatorade All American mm-hmm. award, or I'm sorry, the Gatorade National Player of the Year award uh, across the country from Saquon Barkley. And you'd think we were talking about a science fair project that he had just presented. <laughs> he was so ho-hum about it. I mean, he was clearly excited about it and the interaction with Saquon Barkley and what it meant for him. And it was also right after signing day. So there, I'm not going to say there wasn't a buzz to his voice, but he was really just saying, look, I'm just trying to get to campus and compete. And, and again, you hear from five-star guys who are considered one of the best in the prospects in the country. That's not always the reaction you get. That's not always the feel you get uh, from these guys. And you've heard Deny Dennis Sutton on this podcast. So first time Penn State has signed three five-star guys, and I think from a personality standpoint, we'll see if it stays this way moving forward. These guys are going to get a lot of exposure. They're going to have some ups and downs. But coming to campus and thus far – They are three for three on having the right personality profiles, which in a lot of ways, when you get to this point in your career and you hit this transitional moment going from high school to power five football, that's an aspect that is almost as important as some of those physical attributes that you bring with you to college.
1: It definitely sounds like that Drew Aller has really, I guess, found his place uh, in the locker room and kind of the the way that he, um, you know, I think that it was described that he he doesn't talk much, um, that he's very sits back, watches everything and then when it's his time to, you know, take over to run with the ones uh, in practice, that's when his voice comes out, um, and it's a similar thing to what what G Scruggs talked about um, during the preseason. I think where he kind of had to to find his voice, get get his feet under him, um, and and kind of learn what is going to take. Um, to be a quarterback at Penn State, to be a quarterback in the Big Ten uh, in in these kinds of, of big matchups. So I think kind of like what you said, where he is in terms of the way that his development went and his recruiting ranking and and his prominence went, I think that it really kind of um, the timing worked out to kind of get him to campus where he's a five star recruit, but he's still kind of the the blank slate, like you said, that He's still, kind of, that this is all still new to him. Um, that there's still kind of uh, you know, he he still basically acts like a three star, um, almost with in terms of expectations and stuff. So, um, similar to Nick Singleton, I think that um, I talked to him over the summer, uh, when he was out at the ESPYs uh, as that Gatorade National Player of the Year. Um, and it's funny to think about that, uh, like that Gatorade call. Um, I think I was on a different one, but you could tell, I think that he had kind of he seems very Put together, But I think he had his guard down a little bit that day um, because of Saquon Barkley, because of how big of an honor it was, because of how how surprised he was. So it'll be really cool to kind of see these guys emerge as faces of the program, as some of the, the more prominent voices, um, whether that's later the season or, or next year or 2024. Uh, we'll wait and see. But, you know, you, I think I said this on Saturday. You can't really
0: ask for a better start from both of them. Yeah, let's roll the conversation forward real quickly before we move on to other members of this roster because it's a little hard to forget there are other guys in this team, no, no slight to anyone, but the conversation has been about these two freshmen coming out of this game. I want you to look about what, what's trending with Penn State. So I, I think what does this mean for week three? Let's start with Nick Singleton. Uh, we'll have a chance to ask James Franklin about these things over the course of the week, what we get back in return. We don't know yet, um, but, but we're searching for the hot hand. Nick Singleton did some things at the running back position that they haven't gotten for a few years. Um, But let's not kid ourselves. It's not going to be 27 carries for Nick Singleton and everybody else is going to watch him go up against the Auburn defense. I'm still expecting to see plenty of Catron Allen. The question mark for me is, Where's Kevon Lee? Because it was such a juxtaposition week one. He's in the spotlight because of that game winning catch. He wasn't a workhorse, but he was heavily involved and he finished in the end zone. And then this last week, he's got the start. He got a couple early touches and then he was an afterthought. So my question coming out of two weeks that were very different for Kevon Lee, the veteran of this group and a very different matchups. What does it mean for his outlook at Auburn? And is he still the first guy to get that snap? I know that doesn't necessarily matter. But I know there are some folks who would like to see Penn State make it official and say Nick Singleton is the most impactful back on this roster. He needs to be the first one involved.
1: It, it still wouldn't surprise me if Kevon Lee is is the first play, is the first running back out there on Saturday at Auburn. Um, I think that that kind of tracks with how James Franklin has has sort of handled things. Um, yeah, and, and I think that he trusts Kevon Lee. Um, I think that that's pretty big, and it's going to be a a big road spot. Obviously, Katron Allen and Nick Singleton got their first taste of life on the road at Purdue um, earlier this month, but I think that Auburn down in the SEC and that kind of environment. Um, I mean, the environment at Purdue was great, but I think this is going to be at at a different level. Um, but yeah, after the game, James Franklin said that they, you know, that they still went into the game with that one-one-one um rotation mindset and that you know a hot hand emerge but i kind of think that they didn't like what could kevon lee have shown them uh against ohio i think that they they needed to see nick singleton they needed to see katron allen and kind of a little bit more of extended time um so it still won't surprise me if kevon lee is gets you know a decent amount of run on saturday um i mean personally i don't really think he had anything to prove against ohio Um, whereas these younger guys, you, you know, you wanted to see Nick Singleton break that big run. Um, you wanted to see what Katron Allen could do, uh, in the passing game and, and when he had the ball. So I think that if we were to ask James, if I feel like someone is going to ask James Franklin again, if he has a starting running back, um, but I, it wouldn't, I'd put, uh, you know, I'd say it's a good chance. We'll hear the one, the one, the one, uh, answer again. And, you know, in a month, if that's still the answer, I might raise my eyebrows at that a little bit. But I think that where they are right now, um, in terms of having veterans back there, and mixing it in with these young guys, I think that I think we'll still see
0: Kevon Lee uh, on Saturday at Auburn. I think anytime this conversation came up really between May and August, I was inclined to say, I think Kevon Lee will lead this team in rushing yards in September. But then I also would follow with Nick Singleton will be this team's leading rusher may have just been a little bit slow on the process and how it was all going to work because it's happened so swiftly. Now, the trickier thing here, you can't play three quarterbacks and it's hard to play two. Uh, It can disrupt your offense, but I continue to think about what James Franklin said about strategically finding two spots in this game, at least going into the game where Drew Aller was going to be involved. They wanted him in it for a series in the second quarter and a series in the third quarter. We didn't see that happen in the first half, uh, but we saw four consecutive series in the third quarter. So, Will the Penn State staff in the next five days, as they piece together their game plan, find a fit for Drew Aller, whether it be in the first or quarter a second quarter or third quarter, where it's not dependent on Sean Clifford's health and it's not dependent on Sean Clifford's performance. It's strictly them saying, how can Drew Aller be a weapon and help us put points on the board against a pretty solid Auburn team?
1: I'd be really curious to see how... I'd really be really curious to see that happen. And I would be, I think pretty excited to see that happen. Um, I think that a lot of people would want to see what drew Aller can do against an Auburn defense. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I think I said this on Saturday or or last week, but it's really interesting to figure out how to get someone like drew Aller reps, because he's not that true kind of change of pace quarterback. Um, It's not like will Levis coming in and being a, a battering Ram. Um, you know, to, to spell Sean Clifford uh, like they did before. So, you know, maybe you get Drew Aller some run in the in the second quarter when it's, you know, maybe a 7-7 game, a 3-3 game, um, just to see what he can do. Maybe you try to push the ball downfield a little bit more because um, we've seen what kind of arm that he has. Um, and maybe that can maybe stretch the the Auburn defense, give them a different look. Um, but I am really interested to see if there is kind of a, a package of plays for for Aller and and a package of plays that isn't necessarily like a, a total deviation from the offense, um, you know, a package that plays to his strengths, but is still within the structure. Um, I think that that's something that could give a, an opposing defense something to really think about uh, in the normal flow of play.
0: Uh, in terms of personnel and then kind of what we're sorting through and what we think it might look at Auburn wide receivers in an interesting spot you know it was it was a really tight rotation uh, against Auburn it was or against Purdue I should say in week 1 we didn't see a lot of names out there we saw very little of anyone beyond the starting lineup Harrison Wallace got some run and there were what four four routes run by Omari Evans I think over the course of week 1 Things changed in a big way. 17 guys got passes, Now we have to chalk a lot of that up to, to players getting run that they will not get moving forward unless a blowout takes place again. But the thing is, there's fresh tape. They got a fresh feel for how some of these guys are reacting to game situations and, and how they're reaction to their assignments. And so you may see a bit of a shuffle, I think, across the 3-deep. Not that we get a chance to see the 3-deep at wide receiver come to fruition in every game. I don't think we will at Auburn, but I'm curious what Taylor Stubblefield, James Franklin, Mike Gersich the people who scout the team, their own team within that building, where they come out of that wide receiver after these first eight quarters. Cause we know the hierarchy up top, but there's so much room for young players to make their move, whether it's a Caden Saunders, Omari Evans, certainly showing what he can do. Um, And then some of those red shirt freshmen who are involved. So, and even a guy like Jaden Dotton, who, by the way, got the start uh, last week uh, with Parker Washington not out there for the first offensive snap after his initial punt return. So Jaden Dotton resurfaced resurf- in some ways and Daniel, I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like you can kind of reach your name into a hat, pick out three different names and they may be the primary backups next week.
1: Definitely. Um I think Omari Evans is really the the curious one to watch because he's the he's a true freshman. Um he has that there's that four game threshold Um, And, you know, he's already used up two of them Um, and they've put him in the game. uh, They put him in the game against Purdue uh, in a couple key points. He got a lot of run um, against uh, Ohio on Saturday. So I think the question with him is, has he shown enough that he has the green light, that that he's ready to go? And, you know, he's a really curious prospect. Um, He's the high school quarterback, uh, never played wide receiver full time until he got to Penn State. In the spring, Taylor Stubblefield said that it'd been really fun to coach him because there weren't any bad habits to break. So it was all, uh, you know, all creating new habits with Omari Evans. So I think that he's someone that, if he really breaks out um, or really takes on a, a role, even if it's as just the the fifth or sixth receiver in the rotation, I think that's a huge testament to Taylor Stubblefield's ability as a as a developer. But yeah, I mean the the options. I mean, you can really go in a lot of different directions. After you get past that top three, I'd be really curious uh, to hear what James Franklin thinks because he said that they had five guys, um, and then maybe they were borderline on a sixth. I'd be curious to see if they know who the sixth is now, um, because that's something that, like they said, they want to have a two deep all the way across. I think that we've kind of, I think we've kind of pinned down what that top six looks like in terms of which players it would be. But whether or not they trust Jaden Dotton uh, against Auburn, um, whether or not they would trust Caden Saunders to take reps against Auburn, I think that that's something that we you know need to find out, and that you know we're going to learn on Saturday. And I think that'll add some clarity to that room, which is very you know it's very straightforward up top, but as you go down, uh, it, it's there's there's a lot of names, a lot of talent, and it can get uh, a little bit messy
0: we should probably stick the coin at a top four because Harrison Wallace led True. the team in targets on, on Saturday and he's clearly entrenched as one of the primary pass targets for this program at the position. Um, but uh, Malik Mega is, an, is another name who we didn't see get any run at receiver in week one, which is a bit of a surprise. He had a couple catches over the course of Saturday. He was also an effective uh, gunner and in, in punt coverage. Um, so he's a guy that, that still is a factor. I wonder though, if you, if you're going to play these guys, maybe what, six to 10 snaps a game, maybe your backup slot guy, if things go according to plan. Does Jaden Dotton give you more of a ceiling to come up with a a game-changing type of play than Caden Saunders? I think, but at the same time, is the floor higher with Jaden Dotton where because of being on campus for three years, knowing some of those assignments better perhaps, uh, Though that's all part of the equation here because if you're going to play a guy in a small sample size, you don't want him to impact the game negatively, but you also want to take into account Where's the ceiling here? What could he do with a limited touch? If it's only one opportunity, could he make an eight-yard gain into a a 50-yard gain because of that exceptional speed? So we are talking about a former top 100 prospecting, Caden Saunders. He's a guy that we can't really turn away from, but there are a lot of names involved there. I think to your point, Omari Evans has come a long way in a short time. That January enrollment was important, but he came up here last summer Wowed them in a camp setting with the physical testing numbers and convinced Taylor Stubblefield there was plenty of mold to work with that receiver and we're seeing that thus far. Uh, We're going to see what happens at tight end. That's an area where, again, Theo Johnson not involved the first couple games. He's with the team. Uh, We just don't know what the deal is there aside from it being medical related. Jerry Cross was not available for the program in, in week one. He's going to be a red shirt but you're starting to see those scholarship numbers dwindle at, at, at tight end just a little bit khalil dinkins got in the end zone he also dropped the pass um uh, but i think over across the other side of the ball here right now and, and don't worry we'll talk about the offensive line this week but we're, we only got a few more minutes before we got to get into recruiting we wanted to address the pass rush a little bit because there's been a little bit of a theme early on and week one's tricky because we've talked about it probably the hardest game to get home to the quarterback that Penn State will encounter here in, in 12 games during the regular season. But there's been a bit of a pattern, and it continued on Saturday, of getting close but not quite there to the quarterback. And Adisa Isaac is a primary example of a guy who's close but not quite there in his recovery. Maybe you can lend some insight for our listeners there.
1: I don't think anyone would have picked Johnny Dixon to be leading the team in sacks after two games. (laughs) I think that that one was probably off the board uh, going into the year. But I got a chance to talk to Adisa Isaac for a a pretty long time after the game on Saturday. And he's been really thoughtful and really interesting to talk to dating back to the spring. I think that you were in that scrum after the blue-white game where Adisa was, was very honest with us about his injury and the process of coming back. Um, And he still remains pretty transparent um, with us. On on Saturday, he said that he's still knocking some rust off. Um, He's still at about 85% um, in terms of, you know, his comeback. He's still doing rehab, still taking care of his body uh, every day to get his legs stronger. Um, And then I think that over time, he thinks that he'll really round into form. But he said he feels good. Um, He's kind of learning to to re-trust himself out there and go through all of the, the mental side of it. Uh, which is something that when we were out in Indianapolis, PJ Mustafer was really, really honest about, you know, when, when guys are are falling around that leg, um, when, you know, you're, you have to trust yourself, you got to use that burst, you got to put all your weight on that to try to make a play. So Adisa Isaac said that he's coming along. uh, He loves playing opposite Chop Robinson. Um, He said that he didn't know Chop at all uh, before he transferred in and that he's, you know, really liked getting to know him and that, Robinson is someone who, having him on the other side, just makes things, you know, a world easier for Adisa Isaac. That when they know kind of what's on the other side, that you know, if there's one running back in the backfield, you know, there's only one running back, one tight end. You know, you can't dedicate, you know, a bunch of guys um, if you want to run your offense well. So I think that the pass rush will be really interesting. Um, Auburn's quarterbacks are going to be an interesting matchup with their mobility um, and their uh, ability to escape the pocket. Um, so I think that that's where you're really going to need to see that speed um, of Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson. Um, I, I also asked Adisa Isaac about uh, dropping into the coverage <laughs> because that's something that we've seen the, the way that um, Manny Diaz runs his uh, defense where if the corner, sometimes if the corner's blitzing off the, off the edge, the opposite defensive end will, will drop back into a, a pretty soft zone, and Adiza said that you know he likes it, <laughs> that uh, you know that that it's been fun, and that it, it's something that he thinks is part of his game, and that he has the athleticism to do.
0: I really like this matchup potentially for Penn State if they're able to to, to contain, corral this a, a pretty potent Auburn ground game. It can be can be a strong suit for this team, but man, I, their ability to exploit what what Auburn has going on in the pocket right now. Looks really, really tantalizing because I don't like what Auburn brings to the field at quarterback right now. From a decision-making process, uh, from from leadership buy-in from the locker room, I I don't want to dig too much into that situation. But I feel like Penn State, and you might hear me say this again, I feel like Penn State might have three quarterbacks who could potentially be starting for Auburn right now. I, I just I think this is the week where we're going to see Manny Diaz start to mix and match in a way that we have not seen. There's going to be more variety. Um, we've seen a lot of that already, quite frankly, through two weeks, where we're getting Jair Brown at the Mike Linebacker position. We're getting uh, both Jalen Reed and uh, Zaki Wheatley back there at safety. Uh, you're seeing Johnny Dixon and Daquan Hardy on the field together. And that three-man front that I addressed Saturday, which which going in through preseason, I was hoping we'd see Adiza Isaac and Shot Beeman. Uh, on, on the ends, and then right there in the middle, Akeem Beeman, I think that's also a role in the center that that Zane Durant can grow into and, and really flourish in as well, so there's a lot to like about that rush, but the, the sack numbers haven't piled up yet, this feels like a game if they're able to put themselves up on the scoreboard, or show that they can stop that Auburn rush attack, this might be the opportunity where you can start to pick apart the pass pocket, and as a result, get some mistakes generated out of it. We'll talk about that matchup more, but Penn State's going to go into it, Daniel, as a ranked team nationally again. They spent a couple weeks outside of those top twenty-five rankings, but when you're two and zero and and you do the second this and the, you win forty-six to ten, and everybody around you is kind of dealing with a little bit of chaos, you tend to move your way up.
1: Penn State coming in at number 22 in the AP Top 25 and number 23 in the the USA Today Coaches Poll. They were, I think, you know, in that mythical 27th spot uh, last week in both polls after their opener. Um, and given some of the the chaos that's been happening uh, around college football in general, um, you know, they a couple teams dropped out and they were in position to jump up and you know do it and not just at number 25 based on on how they played. So I think that people have kind of been, and we talked about it with us, where we want to see Penn State prove it uh, in a couple of areas. Um, there's still some areas where we need to see them prove it, but we cover this team on a day-to-day basis. I think from when you're taking more of the the 30,000-foot view, you also wanted to see Penn State prove it um, after last year. And when you're at that level, I think, seeing them win a tough road game uh, against Purdue uh, to open the year, and then really just taking care of business against Ohio. I think that that is kind of the the first step in proving it to, you know, people that have that kind of wider lens and that are voting on these things. So I think that that's kind of, uh, I wasn't surprised to see that um, there's still kind of, Penn state still has a, a long way to go, but I think that we saw this weekend that taking care of business uh, against a you know, a, A mid-major group of five school um, isn't something you can take for granted. Um, Maybe Penn Penn State was lucky it didn't schedule someone from out of the Sun Belt Um, but I think that it's kind of you know if you're voting and you're trying to figure out who to put in those 20 to 25 slots you're looking at a team that has kind of checked all the boxes so far this season and Penn
0: State is that team. Daniel, this is before your time, but we all remember very well what Appalachian State nearly did in Beaver Stadium for that season over back in 2018. Had to go to overtime to get that one done Did the Nittany Lions. And and just a quick peek at the AP Top 25 poll. uh, Georgia continued to consolidate votes up top, 53 uh, first-place votes, and next up is nine for Alabama. Those are the top two programs, then followed by a couple Big Ten teams that Penn State will face this year out of the uh, East Division, Ohio at number three, Michigan at four, and then Clemson, rounding out the top five. Penn State situated between number 21, Texas, coming off a loss to Alabama. Uh, they jumped into the top 25, five points ahead of Penn State. Pittsburgh, meanwhile, at number uh, at number 23, 111 points behind Penn State. Uh, Daniel, we'll continue to get into it this week as Auburn gets a little bit closer and, and the travel nears. But for now, we're going to shift gears to Tyler Calvaruzzo and recruiting. Always appreciate you hopping on the Lions 24-7 podcast with us. Thanks for having me this morning, Tyler. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 Podcast. It's only a kick. A jump. A block.
1: It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's
0: only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All righty. Let's get into it with another of our favorite teammates from Lions 24-7 right now. That is the other Tyler, Tyler Calvaruzzo, who is all over Penn State recruiting. And it was his first chance to cover a home weekend in Happy Valley. He did it remotely, which was probably good because he was able to uh, get a lot done from his command center in New Jersey. And Tyler, we bring you back on board to the podcast. We'll start with the commitment, but you were a busy man. And that's because Penn State staff was busy this past weekend.
2: Yeah, man. I mean, you know, when you get a big visitors list like that, just I'm going to be busy by default. And I love it, man. It was great catching up with a lot of guys. They all really enjoyed it. We got a bunch of articles up on kids and just really all positives, which is what you would expect. You know, just given home opener, packed house, great performance, a lot of guys. The one thing that a lot of guys really talked about with me was that they love seeing a lot of freshmen get on the field early. You know, granted, it was a blowout and it's a prime opportunity for the play, they see, they're kind of like, hey, look, if I'm good enough, they're going to give me a chance again some run as my first year on campus, no matter the circumstance. So that caught a lot of guys' eyes. So overall, just a really good day for Penn State on the field and off the field with its recruits that it hosted.
0: And I'm not sure if you know how the setup works post-game or how many of our listeners know, but we go in there to the press room at Beaver Stadium after a win, after a loss, and James Franklin's up at the podium. But above us um, are all the recruits you know, kind of looking, overhanging, listening intently to what James Franklin has to say. It's been in some tense moments after losses, but after a win like this where he's able to kind of go through how many freshmen we they played and we're asking about the freshman running back and we're asking about the freshman quarterback in their second career games – Yeah, that's a nice part of the equation to send these guys homes with something to chew on. Let's get to the commitment that went down. I saw Zion Tracy on Saturday afternoon get a big hug from James Franklin after the win for Penn State. And I think by the time I'd gotten to my driveway back home uh, later that evening, he was on board with the 2023 Nittany Lions class officially. Um, Can you talk about the timing of this announcement and why you had that crystal ball pick in ahead of it?
2: Yeah, it was an expected one. You know, when it comes down to it, once Penn State offered Tracy, the writing was on the wall just in the sense that he had so many good things to say about the staff after his camp performance in late July. He loved working with the staff. He loves the campus. He loves the program. So once that official offer came in at the beginning of September and he had that official visit scheduled, you you could kind of tell where this one was going, barring something completely unforeseen taking place on the official, and that obviously didn't happen. He wrapped things up while he was on campus, and Penn State has another speedy cornerback in its class. I think the staff's really happy with what it has in Tracy. And he, he was kind of under the radar ahead of his camp performance at Penn State. He had power five interest from the likes of Rutgers, Boston College, Minnesota. They were all involved with him to at least some extent. But when he went to Penn State and balled out at that camp, he got the power five interest that he was really looking for.
0: Now he previously played high school ball in New York, Long Island Lutheran, uh, and, and now he's moved on as a as a post grad player to St. Thomas More up in Connecticut, which is a, a program that always has Power Five talent to look at. To um, can you kind of sort us through why Tracy was available for the Nittany Lions without much of the competition that we typically see from Penn State commits? I know people looked at the offer list and they said, okay, there's Rutgers, there's Syracuse, there's Minnesota. They didn't see Georgia, Notre Dame, Michigan, or Ohio State.
2: Yeah, just throughout his high school career at Long Island Lutheran, he played a lot of wide receiver. That's kind of where he started. It looked like for a while that's where his future was going to be. He started playing defense a little bit later on in his career. And I think once he realized that corner is the spot for him at the next level, he's like, let me go get this prep here because my interest isn't really where I want it to be. And just, you know, Long Island Lutheran is not the biggest program in New York in terms of exposure. They've sent some guys to power. They've sent plenty of guys to power five before. But with Tracy being a late bloomer in his own right, going to St. Thomas More, which is a pretty good prep program with Coach Anderson up in Connecticut, they're rolling in the right direction. they got a lot of talent there now. I think that was a good decision by him just because it allowed – this summer was big for him because it got out on the camp circuit and generated all the interest we've been talking about. We've talked so much about his performance at the Penn State camp and how he tested so well and how he fared so well against his Shakir. He went to Rutgers, tested just as well, and locked Tysier Denmark up. And we, we all know how good of a prospect Tysier Denmark is for him to go there and do that. I mean, just – that speaks to how big of this summer – getting the opportunity to go out in camp for him this summer was. So that was a big driving force in his decision – the offer list, you know, being what it is, that that's just late bloomer type deal with him. And Penn State's happy that it pounced when it did, because only a matter of time. His early season prep tape is pretty impressive. So as that gets out, some other schools could have came calling, but Tracy's locked in with the Nittany Lions now that he's committed.
0: Yeah, I know he's excited to, to play college football fairly close to home at an environment like Happy yeah. Valley. And, and oh, by the way, love that nugget that you dropped on Denmark while we were working through our post-game stories and typing those up. Uh, on Saturday from the press box, I saw you, you dropped that nugget about the Denmark matchup taking place at, at Rutgers camp, and that stood out because I, I've mentioned it before on the message board and on the podcast, Denmark – Uh, The rankings explain themselves. He's a top 100 overall composite prospect in the 2024 class out of Roman Catholic in Philadelphia, which is where Jameel Lyons plays at Penn State's defensive end commit. Uh, Number 13 wide receiver in the class and composite rankings. He was the best receiver prospect I saw at Penn State this summer. I don't know how many events we saw, five, six, seven, somewhere in that vicinity. He was the best receiver I saw during that span. So to hear that Zion Tracy not just has success against a guy that I think pretty highly of in Ajani Shakir, but Denmark to me is at a different level, and I think his national recruiting platform is at a different level. So that's very—I uh, you know, think that's a very good thing to kind of add to the context of Zion Tracy as we kind of learn more about who he is uh, from a profile, pros- from a prospect profile standpoint. Nice pick up there for Penn State. It's starting to get late though, and there's not much room left in the end. I-, I know Penn State has kind of shuffled the deck this summer with some guys leaving, guys coming in. What's really left to accomplish for Penn State's recruiting class? And we know there have been changes to NCAA roster requirements, what you can do, how many guys you can sign. What do you see kind of taking shape for Penn State over the course of these next three months leading up to the early signing period? What's their mission statement right now?
2: So it has remained pretty obvious that They're looking to add another running back to this class. They went out and offered Dante Dowdell who's committed to Oregon. He's a four-star from Mississippi. Really good player. Not sure if he's looking to move off that commitment to Oregon. I think he's pretty locked in there from what I've heard. But Penn State made the offer. They got him on the phone. They had the conversation. So they got their foot in the door. We'll see what transpires there. I think adding another offensive lineman is in the cards, specifically a tackle. I think that's something that Penn State is exploring. They've had interesting guys. Nothing has really come to fruition in that sense in terms of getting some of these 2023s on campus but we'll see what comes about there. Defensively, you're probably going to probably see another addition on the defensive line at some point. It goes back to what we've been talking about pretty much since it's Morian Parker decommitment that John Scott Jr. and Deion Barnes are going to be evaluating guys, and they're going to be looking for that diamond-in-the-rough type player at this point in the cycle. And I'm sure they will be working the flip front as well as this cycle progresses. So there's a lot of stuff going on on the defensive side of the ball and the offensive side of the ball. There's a lot of moving parts. So while the class is mostly wrapped up, I mean, they have 20 guys on board now and sure they could go higher than they have in the past, just given the new rules. But they have a pretty good – they're in a pretty good spot with their class right now in terms of numbers, and there are going to be a couple more additions I would anticipate, specifically those positions. I think that's what's going to be going down. Running back, I'm keeping a really close eye. because There's a lot of guys there that they're evaluating, they have an eye on, and we're going to see some offers go out pretty soon, I have a feeling.
0: I know J1 Sider is extremely happy to be oh, able yeah. to – Take that uh, consecutive games without a 100 yard rusher, put it in a box and bury it in his backyard so it doesn't have to come <laughs> up during recruiting conversations anymore. He can instead say, Did you see what that freshman did for us exactly. last Saturday? That was pretty exactly. impressive. You want to do that? Uh, so that, that's important. That's a turning point for them. And they've got to be able to, to really change that, the, not change it, the messaging has been strong from j Wan Sider, but it's kind of that stance has weakened a bit over the last year or so because of the results from the running back room. So that seems to be on the upswing. Um, it's also important to note that we're in the time of year because it's early in the high school season. Guys have played one, two, maybe three games, depending on what region they're in. There are tan there's tangible evidence of, of relationships between Penn State and recruits, guys coming to campus, new offers being extended, like the one to the Oregon running back commit. But there's also, Tyler, a lot going on behind the scenes right now. Film evaluation. Oh, yeah. Little, yeah, little little bits of, of text messages, DMs being exchanged just to make sure people know that, that they're being paid attention to. And this is kind of where you gotta get ready to reset that board and and try to strategize on what you're gonna do during the final two months
2: or so of the cycle. 100%, and we've talked about this Brandon High three-star running back from Texas. He's like a prime example of what's going on there. The staff had contact with him and they're watching his, his senior his early senior year tape to determine is he going to be a guy for us or you know are we going to look elsewhere? And that's not just going on with him. That's going on with a lot of other guys on the board. Running backs, o-linemen, d-linemen, even in the secondary maybe still to some extent. Now there's there's still some interesting guys out there, Roger Pleasant type guys that Penn State's involved with. So, yeah, there's going to be a board reset to some extent just as they look to round this out because they're really going to narrow down on who they want and who probably, you know, isn't really on their board.
0: Yeah, and and they're going to find out maybe who they're not in play for a little bit better too in the months ahead um, based on where guys choose to visit when they have that open schedule in their high school season. Uh, I'm also curious uh, before we we get into who was at – beaver stadium and kind of what the, what the takeaway was uh what what were your thoughts on jackson small he got the better of jj cole i think it's nice that for penn state fans that they're not scrambling around right now trying to figure out who their 2023 quarterback is jackson small coming on board when he did as his power five profile was rising was huge for penn state's recruiting plan what do you think about uh him getting on the field and, and again going on mano y mano with a fellow elite 11 finalist
2: really gutsy win for small and Dallin catholic you know i mean Cole's a great player, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners remember that Penn State was in his top two once upon a time. You know, came down yeah. to Penn State and Iowa State, but Penn State took Marcus Stokes while Cole was still deciding. So that led him to Iowa State, which is probably going to happen anyway. But still, Penn State was right there for him. So for Smolick to go out and beat Cole, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a W for the Penn State staff. You know, they, they got themselves a pretty good quarterback. They know that, and he's been showing it throughout the first two games of his senior year. I mean, you know, they placed a loaded Southeast Polk team to start the year with Caden Proctor, and you, you just can't stop it when you're running the ball behind him every play. But Smolik did his thing that game, and he did it again against Cole and Kenny. I mean, it, it was a 17-10 to 10 game. It was a little bit of a, more of a defensive battle, but Smolik made throws when he had to, and he led them on a pretty impressive drive in the first half. They got them going offensively and really kind of set the tone that Dallas Catholic was going to be right there throughout the course of the game, and they finished it off at the end. So credit to Smolik credit to that Dallin Catholic defense. And yeah, I mean, you just love to see the competitiveness out of Smolick throughout that game. It wasn't an easy night for him in terms of the competition he was facing. He went out there and he got the job done.
0: Yeah, Smolick was on the show just a few days before his season opener a, a, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, he was talking about embracing that challenge, embracing the pressure, because that's going to be waiting for him at Penn state. He's getting an early look at what it's like to be a power five football recruit. And what that means when defenses are facing you on a week to week basis and, game planning heavily toward you. Let's talk about what happened in Beaver Stadium. There were 107,000 people in the stadium, according to the announcement from the school. Many of them were recruits. And uh, we, we have a long list of stories that are already up since Saturday. Uh, credit to you, credit to Brian Doan, a lot of reach out. Can, can you kind of jump into a few guys that really stood out um, and going to be priorities for Penn State? I think Saka is, is obviously a guy that a lot of people are excited to hear more about
2: yeah he was actually the first guy I was going to touch on just based on his <laughs> based on his quotes i mean he he loved it he 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 was he was enjoying himself saturday afternoon man he he was say he told me that it was something that he's never experienced before and you know we're talking about a kid who's pretty tied into the Penn State football program giving his family ties for him to get up there and still be taken aback by the atmosphere I, I think that speaks to what Penn State has going on these game days and look the thing with Saka is. Yeah, he's very comfortable with Penn State early on. You know, they're really high in his list right now. But at the end of the day, he has a lot of elite early suitors. He's going to get out. He's going to visit the likes of Ohio State, Michigan State, Michigan. And, you know, it's going to it's going to be a battle for him. But Penn State has put itself in a good position. The legacy factor definitely is working in the Nittany Lions' favor in this situation. And is going to be on campable, campus multiple times from now and the end of the season. So he'll be back. Cameron Lindsay from Aliquippa had a good time, three-star linebacker. Peter Gonzalez, another one from Pittsburgh, three-star wideout, good time. Just really everyone. Dom Nichols, good time, four-star defensive end that Penn State really, really wants in the class of 2024. So just all really positive feedback, a lot of good things to say about the atmosphere. And all the recruits I talked to had really good things to say about their conversations with the staff before the game. A lot of them were really happy that the recruits understand how busy it gets on game days. And it resonates with them that these staff members are able to get out talk to them before the game and have, you know, pretty in-depth and lengthy conversations. Every single recruit told me that they learned a lot from the staff through their conversations with them while they were on campus. And it wasn't something they were necessarily expecting on a game day because they didn't know what the responsibilities are of the coaches on the game day. So Penn State did a really good job on this weekend. You know, they started the year strong on the visitor front and for sure, just based on all the feedback that I've received.
0: Yeah, pretty, a pretty solid list materialized. Yeah. And, and you were reporting on that really two weeks out. And that list was building uh, online's 24-7 message board. Uh, but Tyler, uh, everyone loves the their experience on campuses. Yeah. Everyone loves when they get to watch the home team win. By no 30, one has a go. bad visit. Everyone loves mm-hmm. when the coaching staff comes and says hello to them. Who did you really get the sense that this experience moved the meter for? I'm not saying a guy's going to commit by the end of this week, but whether it's a younger guy who this is going to kind of maybe stick in their mind and and make sure Penn State's at the forefront, or maybe a guy who's a little bit closer to a decision. and, And this could ensure that Penn State's part of that final conversation.
2: One guy was Jerry Hawkins, top 24 7 wide receiver from West Virginia. You know, he made almost a 200 mile drive to take this one in. And this was a trip that he really wanted to make because, like I said, the last time I was on, when he was at Penn State in June, he just got to camp. He got his offer. He didn't really get to do a whole lot else. So he wanted to get back. He wanted to see the campus, the facilities, all that good stuff. And he got back and he loved it. He loved the atmosphere. He loved the facilities. He, you know, he furthered his relationship with the coaching staff. So I think Penn State moved up his list after that visit and it, it, it's still early for Hawkins there aren't a lot of offers out right now but we take a look at his lofty spot in the rankings and how he's tested he's you know he's in the KJ Hamler Carmelo Taylor kind of build just straight speed he's still developing as wide receiver I think that's going to be a big thing to monitor throughout his recruitment but he's a really really fast his track times are as impressive as Carmelo Taylor's and play style wise it's a lot of KJ Hamler and so he's the one guy who really stuck out with me in terms of you know having the visit make an impact beyond just the game day atmosphere. A lot of the offensive linemen, Ryan Howard from Downington West, he said he he was liking what he was seeing out of the offense. Alex Irby, quarterback, he liked the way they were running their offense. RPO, he was loving all of it. So there are a lot of guys who are tuned into the atmosphere, but then there's a lot of those guys who are also tuned into the scheme, what's what's going down on the field, specifics of it. So I think for those guys, guys like Hawkins, Irby, they had a pretty good day in terms of just – getting out there, looking at what Penn State has to offer beyond atmosphere and saying, hey, look, I can see myself here.
0: Yeah, and Irby is one of those 2024 in-state guys that doesn't have an offer, but we've been saying, you know, came to camp a few times, looked the part. He's a power five quarterback prospect. Got to keep tabs on someone like that. Uh, him and his brother, I believe, were both at the game. Uh, and Jare Hawkins, just to, to clear that up, he is a 2024 prospect, yeah. uh, top 24-7 receiver. He's number 112 overall in our rankings, the number one player in the state of West Virginia. Um, so, look, you can. I know you're going to be still sorting through what guys are reacting to and how this is going to impact things from the football perspective. Uh, we, we're going to have your coverage up at lines 247com Our VIP subscribers were well in the know uh, ahead of this home game and who was going to be there, who might not be there. And by the time Saturday rolled around, we were Able to confirm a lot of those, I guess, loose ends. Um, So we got a couple weeks before the next home game. We'll do it all again pretty soon. We'll see what Penn State can put together. While we have you here, though, I I know a lot of people have enjoyed your basketball recruiting coverage. Mm -hmm. Just want to take a couple minutes here. Um, up, Up on the site, you've done a lot. I know you have a notebook that you plan to drop again this week. You had one up on Friday about where Penn State basketball is trending on the recruiting trail, what they're trying to accomplish. Just your reactions to that Kerry Booth pickup. He announced through 24-7 sports. This occurred just a couple of weeks ago. Before we let you go, your thoughts there, and then generally what, what Shrewsbury and company
2: are generating right now on the recruiting trail
0: through this first season and ahead of year number two.
2: So Booth, I mean, easily the biggest recruiting win of the cycle for the staff. Booth, just beyond the fact that he's a legacy, just look at his skill set. He's a stretch forward, Could put the ball on the floor. He could defend all the positions in the front court. So he's been on the top of their board. He would have been on the top of their board no matter what his last name was. He, he's a guy, man, and he helped himself a lot this summer on the AAU circuit. He rose up in our rankings really quickly with some standout performances. And with that came a lot of competition that Penn State had to deal with. And they ultimately closed the deal. So credit to the staff for making that one happen booth. I mean, he's going to add a lot just on both ends of the floor. He's a guy who could easily come in and play right away, just given the opportunity that's going to be there for minutes in the front court. And I think that was a big part of the pitch. The legacy factor obviously played in you know, not to downplay that. I mean, he, he had insight into the program that not many other recruits have, and he saw a good opportunity to write his own chapter at Penn state. And I, I think that was intriguing to him. So just overall a really great get for the staff and now moving forward A lot of them, the majority of the focus has shifted towards 2024. There's still an eye on adding in 2023, but, you know, we're kind of in the territory where a lot of those top targets are off the board, whether it went in Penn State's favor or not. So now we're kind of, you know, looking at the secondary market in terms of maybe guys were once plan B targets, turning into potential plan A targets with a good senior season. And there's there's definitely the possibility for another addition to the class, but I think right now, and we're seeing it with the staff out on the road, 2024 is the focus and that 2024 board is starting to come into position by position detail. It's starting to come into focus a little bit and I'm going to have an update on that really, really soon. Like I said, staff on the road and these guys that they get out to see at the end of the day, those are their priorities early in this cycle. So there's going to be a big update coming really, really soon. I hope you guys are looking forward to that.
0: Good stuff, Tyler. I know the folks who want to see and, and have been clamoring for more basketball recruiting coverage have really enjoyed covered, your man. coverage. Yeah, you've, you've been great in that regard. You'll continue to be. So just want to make sure people are aware of that we always have football here on the show. We don't touch on basketball much, but Tyler is doing a great job uh, for our VIP subscribers producing that content about where Penn State coaches are on the road who they're targeting, who's realistic, who's not. We appreciate that. We'll jump back into football next time you get on the show, which will be very soon, Tyler. In the meantime, look forward to your continuing coverage at lines247.com.
2: Thanks, man. Appreciate it.
0: All right. Well Always a pleasure to get my colleagues on here, and we've been doing it pretty rapidly and pretty often lately with these four episodes per game week. We'll come back to you again on Tuesday afternoon, fresh out of James Franklin's press conference. We're back in that weekly setup where James will speak to us around 1230 on Tuesdays. We have live updates all week long. We start talking to players on Tuesday morning. So, if you want to follow what we're hearing all week, we got our VIP thread going starting Tuesday morning, carries you all the way through Thursday. By the end of the process, we're probably talking to seven, eight different players, a couple different coaches, and everything we're hearing that's notable, the context of it, why it's important for the upcoming matchup, we're dropping that in that thread. So I know our has enjoyed those conversations. We enjoyed conversing with you along the way. We're into game week number three, Penn State's 2-0. and They're ranked. A lot of optimism starting to brew at Penn State. For, t- for everyone here, uh, Daniel Gallen, Tyler Calvaruzzo, Lance Glynn. I'm Tyler Donahue. We'll talk to you real soon on the Lions 24-7 podcast.
2: Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game.